Well, my friends, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 34. The story of Jacob soon to come to an end. We are at the end of his life. And he makes an expensive decision here today. You may recall that the Lord now has sent him from Laban back to his home. You may also recall that he stopped about halfway, built himself a home, a place for his livestock, and decided to take his own sweet time. It is a dangerous, dangerous thing, my friends to put off what the Lord has called you to do. You may recall back in 1992 when my daughter Emily was born, there was a quarter billion dollar gallon of murky Chicago water from the river backed up 60 in the 60 mile network of the turn of the century, freight tunnels under the loop. You remember that? That big disaster? Well, some of you maybe weren't around in 1992. But I'll tell you, there was. And it brought all nearly all of the business in Chicago to this soggy halt. See, it turned out that a top city official had known about this leak. I mean, they knew it was there. But you know what? They found, if they thought, they, they figured it cost $50,000, maybe we could put it off a little bit. What they didn't realize is that the final cost of all of the damage ultimately ran higher than a billion dollars. Just put it off a little bit. Put it out of your mind. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's a dangerous proposition, my friends. Putting things off that should be done is a dangerous game to play. It is a dangerous game to play. The scripture <clears throat> teaches us that delayed obedience is disobedience. When God commands, the expectation is that you act now. And his commands are for our good. We don't know for what we will be delivered from or what opportunity lies before us when we act now. But we know that God is good, that He is wise, and that we, when He commands, my friends, we ought to obey. Stop putting it off. You see, Jacob's delay in going home where the Lord had instructed him to do was a costly move. And in our text here today, we're going to see some horrific things that happened because Jacob determined... He wanted to stop and wait a little while. I mean, this place looked nice. I mean, he'd go home later. So take a look with me, if you will, in Genesis chapter 34. The truth that is on display in a horrific way. When Jacob's daughter, first and foremost, Dina, decides to go meet the neighbors. Hey, we're going to stay here a while. Let's go meet some town folk. And interestingly, in this passage, the name of the Lord is not mentioned once. 
it seems that when he has walked away from the Lord, the Lord is absent from his life. It seems. But friends, there are lessons to be learned. Notice verse 1. Now, Dina, the daughter of Leah, when to whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. So Jacob's daughter goes and uh, has a little friendly visit. And we see him when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. There's a word that sums up that event, my friends, and it starts with an R. He raped her. <coughs> and oddly enough, here in verse 3, we read from Shechem's thoughts. His soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. You know, if they had traveled, this never would have happened. You hear me not blaming her, okay? What you hear me doing is blaming Jacob for putting his family in this position. And if you think it's over from this point, you are deadly wrong. You see, his daughter Dina was attacked here in verses 1 to 4, and that swung the door wide open for temptation, where a whole nation is now in danger to this temptation. Take a look and see with me. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled, that word means polluted, his daughter Dinah. But his sons were in, with his livestock out in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Something will be done, but I'm going to wait. And we see a bit of maturity on Jacob's side here at this point. The wisdom to wait before he just responds. And here in verse 6, we find that Jacob is now alone, and Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob had come into the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry, as you would anticipate. Perhaps even in your own heart here, you're a bit seething about the whole events. They were very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. And so they're angry. And you know what? They are right to be angry. This was wrong. I don't need to convince you of that, my friends, but this is a wonderful teaching point. The Lord does not say, don't be angry. There are some things to be angry about. Be not be not, <laughs> do not be angry and sin is the issue here, friends. So there's Shechem's father out to talk. And here in verse 8, here in verse 8, the father of Shechem Make some lovely offers. I got a deal for you. Come on, sit down. Take a look and see what he says here. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, But the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please, 
give her to him to be a wife. And make marriages with us, and give us, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. And you know what happens to this nation that the Lord is building? It will simply disappear in the family of Shem. I want to tell you, he tries to sweeten the pot here and says, You can dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell, trade in it, do business. Think of all the cash. And get property. Why? Why is he so concerned about this? It's not over the girl, I'll tell you this. Jacob and his large family with large evidence of his riches moving through the land. The question on Hanoi's mind is not how do I get a daughter-in-law, but how do I get some of his into my bank <coughs> So the issue here, my friends, is danger to the people of God. And the Lord had given instruction about these very things. And as a matter of fact, before the nation of Israel is about to go into the land, the promised land that God had promised, oh, so long ago in early Genesis, he instructed them with these instructions. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering, this is Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. And then he tells them why. For they would turn your sons from following me to serving other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you You see, it's not just the disappearing of a nation, mingling with others. It is that the idols that they worship will soon become their own. That very problem was illustrated in the life of Solomon. You remember the third king over the nation? God had placed them there, David's son, and, and we read in 1 Kings chapter 11 that King Solomon loved many foreign women. Oh, he had so much wealth. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, the Hittite women. Man, he had them all. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. 
Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And you won't believe this, but his wives turned his heart away. You see, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. But Solomon went after the Astaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. His heart was drawn away. And that is why the Lord wanted those people as judgment for their rebellion against God, making their own gods. And behind every idol, my friends, is a demon. And you know what happened to Solomon? The kingdom was ripped from him, and it was torn into two, divided, because of his sin. You see, the purpose of this command, my friends, was the protection of the people of God. And God commands, my friends, it is for your own good. And so the offer continues, let Hamar marry your daughter, intermarry with us, make marriages, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourself. And dwell with us, verse 10. Yes, you shall dwell with us. The land will be open. Dwell and trade in it and get property. And then here in verse 11. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. The bride price. Name your price. What must I do to get this young woman? Accept the bride price of Ask me for a great bride price, then a gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. And so there is the temptation. And apparently, Jacob, who was willing to con his brother out of the birthright and deceive his own father out of the blessing, was unwilling to make a deal. But those boys, those troublesome boys, my friends, we see in verse 13, their anger did not subside. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father, Hamor, deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister, Dina. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. You see, what this is is a plot, which apparently runs in the family, a scheme. The boys had figured out what they can do about this whole horrific event. And they offered a condition. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. 
Then we will give our daughters to you, and you will take, uh, you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become your people. And but if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we're going home. <coughs> Y'all know what circumcision is? Look it up. There's enough things to talk about here this morning. And you know what? He bought it. In verse 18, we see that their words pleased Hamar and Hamar's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his house. So Hamar and his sons, you know, they go back home and tell everyone, hey, we're getting circumcised. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city. That's the place of business. And he said, these men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us make their daughters as wives and give them our daughters. Only this condition would the men agree to dwell with us, to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised, will not their livestock and their property and their beasts be ours? Think of all that we can get from these people. And all we need to do is this one thing. Well, they bought it. Because what wouldn't you do for more cash? Beware, my friends. So on the third day, you will notice in verse 25, when they were sore, Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Dina's brothers, took their sword and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dina out of Shechem's house and went away. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. You will note that the Lord did not tell them to do this. You will note that no one said, we should ask the Lord what we should do in this circumstance. They acted out of hatred and slaughtered the people. We will remember this about their sons as the story continues. How one day they will feel less loving toward a brother named Joseph and come up with another scheme. And you know what their argument for all of this was? They said in verse 31, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Should he treat whole people without the will of God as victims? Hear me, my friends. Hear me. In reading this story, all of these things would have been avoided had Jacob simply gone home. See how simple that was? How do we avoid this whole tragedy, this slaughter of people's lives, the rape of his own daughter? Do what the Lord tells you to do, my son. 
because disobedience to God is a disaster waiting to happen. Disobedience. Listen to me. No, listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to the Word of God. It is warning you. It is not a threat. It is a voice of love that says, listen to me. I love you. These commands are a reflection of my heart. Do what I'm telling you to do. Don't listen to David. Listen to the Word of God. Because delayed obedience to God is a disaster waiting to happen. Sink this deep into your mind, my friends. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Jesus told a little parable about two sons. Their father had told them to go do something. And the one said, I will, I will, I'll get right to it. But he waited. The other son didn't say anything, and off he went. The question is, which obeyed? The guy who said, I will, I will, I will? Or the guy who did it? Do it. Do the will of God. With the Spirit of God, and there's no little doubt in my mind that even right here as you sit, that the Spirit of God has already made something very clear to you of something of which you need to do. Do it. Stop saying tomorrow. Get on it, people. Get on it. And remember, the Lord gives us commands, not suggest suggestions, friends. These commands are for your best. These commands, we have no idea the results that will occur in our life and the lives of others. What God will accomplish when you simply obey Him. Do it. And perhaps a, a side note on it all. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Give it to Him. I will not elaborate, but there was an event in my life that hurt me for years. I couldn't get over it, and I was angry about a man who had done something so vile to me and my family. And it was this truth that helped me get over it, enable, enable him to, just to forgive and say, you know what, this belongs to the Lord, not me. The vengeance comes from this guy. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Trust Him to do it. Hey, please, for your sake, what the Spirit of God is indicating you should do, do it. Nothing in between. Don't put it off till Thursday, friends. Get at it. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Your goodness in that you have given us your word. And you have recorded and preserved accounts just like this one. That we might learn these truths. That we might apply them in our lives. That we might be changed. And that you might use us, God, to bring about change in other people's lives as well. Perhaps even now, we are aware of someone who needs to be reminded of this truth. It certainly starts with each one of us. Help us, Lord. Give us the grace and the courage to obey you now.
pray it in Jesus' name.